0: God praise God. Jesus is good to us. Amen. amen. Amen amen. He is so good. He is so good. I'm excited today to bring to this pulpit to speak to us and preach to us Melissa Frost and uh, Melissa Frost has she's ordained with the United Pentecostal Church. She started a church in Quebec City, Quebec, Canada. Is quite a feat. Uh, that is a city that needs many more churches. She came through on deputation and I think has been back since and preached for us um, and just a wonderful person. Now she serves the pastoral staff at Apostolic Church of Belleville in Belleville, Illinois, doing a great work there. She also is an adjunct professor at Hershon College and then she also has a career with Edward Jones. The investment group. Uh, so she is a busy, busy person and a dynamic person. She's going to speak to us her heart, and I'm excited to hear from her. She's a Christian. The highest compliment I can give: she's a Christian. She's also a great friend, and so we're glad that she's here. She's been with us the last uh, basically week, taking her vacation to come and be with us. And man, I I feel honored. I don't know what Shelly and I have done to earn a vacation uh, from her. But man, I mean, you, you can't go wrong with friends like that. She's a dear friend to my wife and I. And we want her to come and just speak her heart to this church. God is going to use her. But why don't before she comes and takes this mic, why don't we do this? Let's open our hearts, open our minds, and ask the Lord to help us. God, you see every person here today joining us god i pray in the name of jesus christ that you would open up our hearts give us spiritual ears to hear god help us to have spiritual eyes lord to see what you're trying to say to us god help us to see on a higher plane lord to see beyond all of the chaos that's trying to consume our lives lord help us to hear what you're trying to do through this preaching today in the name of Jesus Christ, amen, Lord, and help us to apply it into our lives. Why don't you welcome Melissa Frost, give her a hand as she comes to take her liberty and preach to us today.
1: Praise the Lord. The Lord is good to us, and I'm thankful to be in Suwanee, Georgia today. Um, I don't know what I did to deserve a vacation in the guest room of my friends. So I'm grateful. Uh, I'm grateful for many things. I'm grateful for friends that are kingdom minded, people who speak peace and encouragement and love and compassion and are exactly the same people in their house as they are right here in Branches Church. Um, You have a great pastor and pastor's wife, and they didn't tell me to say that. They'd probably tell me not to say that. So it doesn't look fake or anything, but they are fantastic people. Um, as I was pastoring in Quebec, they were great resources to me and great sources of encouragement. I know they are to you as well. Um, I, do, uh, I do not take it lightly when a minister and his family invite me to minister to their church. Um, these people love you a lot, and so the idea that they would let me speak to you um, is a high honor in my book, and so thank you very much, Pastor Lane and Sister Shelley, for that privilege, and um, yes, yeah, so uh, we're going to turn to Second Kings. I am going to share my heart with you, and um, I say this at my church at home sometimes that um, I, I might be just be preaching to myself, and you might be listening in to me as I preach to myself, some things that we all need to be reminded of, especially during the times that we are in. Um, Scripture says that perilous times shall come, and I think all of us feel a little bit on edge with what's going on in our world right now, Um, but today we're going to talk about promises. Promises and the promises of God, and a life cycle that is related to promises. There is a life cycle of a promise. So just to read this and let you all sit down, 2 Kings 4 and verse 8 says, It fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman. And she constrained him to eat bread, and so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said to her husband, "'Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God which passes by us continually.'" Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick, everything that he would need to stop over at their home. And it shall be that when he comes into us, he will turn in thither. And it came on a day or it fell on a day that he came thither and he turned into the chamber and he lay there. And that passage sets the scene for the rest of what we're going to talk about. Just hold that place in your Bible or on your screen. Uh, I, uh, I'm going to flip over one verse, then I'm coming right back to that chapter. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20 says, For all the promises of God, in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. So we're going to talk about the life cycle of a promise. You may be seated. When I was in grade school and they began to tell us about different plants and we would plant seeds in those little cardboard cups and try to watch them grow and sometimes we had like egg cartons and we were trying to plant little seeds and you were looking for that seed to start shooting up and turn green and see the little bud but it took a little while for the seed to show up. It took a little while for that little seedling to push its way through the soil and start growing. And that was such an exciting day when you saw the manifestation of your hard work, right? All that hard work, dropping that seed in that soil. The hard work was the patience it took, trying to really wait and not dig into the soil and see if it was growing and... That, that sprout, that seedling would start to grow. And if you did it right, you could transplant that. I'm not very good at plants, so bear with me. Those of you who are, I may not say this exactly right, but I think you can move it from one place into another pot, and it can grow even bigger. And then eventually it'll bear fruit, whether it's flowers or, or fruit or vegetables, whatever it produces, it'll start to grow in that new, bigger place to grow, and you can benefit from it. Eventually, it will produce all the fruit that it has the potential to produce. And if you're like me, you might not pay close attention to it, and it might not get watered the way that it should, and suddenly it passes away. And we consider that that seed-to-death process a life cycle. And it becomes uh, something valuable in the soil that can help some other plant grow. That's a typical Life cycle. How many of you are familiar with that? You've planted a plant, you've watched it grow, and then it passed away. For me, that's a rapid process. I get a plant, it's gone in like a week. So, Uh, others of you might have a green thumb and be able to cultivate. This is a story about a life cycle of a promise given to a very specific woman. Unfortunately, I wish the Bible would have told us her name. But all we know is that she lived in a place called Shunem. And this story is really about motherhood at its highest and its lowest points. This relationship that she has with her promise all began with a decision to to build this little room and it would prove life-changing for this woman. Just to build a room to house the prophet whenever he happened to be in town. And so, to really understand this, you have to understand the voice of uh, uh, the, the role of the prophet in this point of history. The prophet serves the role of the voice of God to his or her generation. In the Old Testament, when we look at the role or the, the job that a prophet accomplished, he or she was standing in the stead of God, speaking forth what God wanted said to a nation or to an individual or to a household. And so the voice of God was uh, manifest, if you will, because this one person would yield to speaking forth what, the, what God wanted said. Israel had a long history of trying to put distance between themselves and God. They, they, at Sinai, they asked Moses to be the speaker They're like, we don't want to be this close to this powerful manifestation of the presence of God at Mount Sinai. They said, Moses, you go up and you listen to God and you come down and tell us what he said. Later, they would insist on being ruled by human judges or human kings instead of being ruled by the king of kings directly. They just wanted a little distance between them and God. And so prophets also filled this mediating role between God and the people. So if you think of it like that, the Shunammite woman chose to make a room to house the voice of God whenever he would come by. They put a space in their house so that when the voice of God would show up, he could speak to them. And wanting to have that connection to the voice of God gave her great favor with the prophet. So continuing in 2 Kings 4, verse 12 says, he said to his servant, call this Shunammite. And when he would called her, she stood before him. And he said to Gehazi, tell her, say unto her, behold, you've been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldst thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? Now, Elisha was a follower of a man called Elijah. Elijah was a wild, crazy man out in the wilderness. He wore leather and, and a camel hair, a uh, leather belt and camel hair. And uh, he was he lived very differently. Elisha was a diplomat. He was in the king's court. He had the king's ear. He knew important people. He was a man of wealth and substance before he was called to be a prophet. And so he had these different uh, assets in the physical to be able to offer her. And so she, he's saying, do you want me to tell the king about you and your husband and how gracious you've been to me so that you can have favor from the king? Is there any decision that needs to be made by the king on your behalf? Do you, do you uh, have trouble with your neighbors? Is there anything the king can help you with? Or should I talk to the captain of the host and maybe get an officership for your husband? Not one of those, like, front-line scary ones where you're out there on the battlefield, but sort of a back-office gig that you just get paid for. Can I talk to the captain and the host? And being offered these things, she says, I dwell among my own people. I'm happy where I am. I have great neighbors. I have good people around me. I, I have a good situation here. I am content. In other words, it's enough that the voice of God stops by on occasion. That's enough for me. I'm happy. It is a sufficient connection. But the prophet disagreed and he looked for a way to bless her. And so in verse 14, it says, he says to Gehazi, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi says, verily, she has no child and her husband is old. That's a very direct statement, isn't it? So we have to understand again, culturally, that women with no children were viewed, viewed by their culture, this is not the truth, but viewed by their culture as being cursed by God. That Because they were married and couldn't have children or didn't have children, they were viewed as being cursed by God. And it is important to remember that we never should let those around us tell us what success looks like. I'm just going to slide that in for free. Culture also at that time allowed for very older men to marry very young women, as in this case. And so the prophet knows that the biggest possible blessing that he could offer is fruitfulness. This is the biggest thing that he can do to to miraculously intervene in her life and allow her to have a blessing. And so he says, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. This is verse 15. Verse 16 says, And he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And how many other women of that generation would have taken off shouting out the door so excited by the, this promise of what every woman of the time greatly desired? Not only to have a child, but to have a son. In that time, excuse me, just one moment. I'm afraid I'm in allergy season right now. Um, At that time, there was no uh, retirement plans, no 401ks, no, no ways to get ahead for your future kind of thing. And so ladies who were married to very older husbands often were left destitute as widows. And so he says, you know what, not only is it going to be a child, a baby, but it's going to be a son. Someone who can physically provide for you in a farming, agrarian community. And she responds. And she doesn't say, woohoo, I'm so excited. She says, no, nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. And it's a shocking reply. When we just read it in black and white, it seems very disrespectful that she would accuse him of being a liar, this man of God that she invited into her home. This goes against all the principles of hospitality that you would call your guest a liar. But the way that I see this conversation, the prophet offers to repay this kindness, and this this young woman just said, I'm completely happy offering you shelter and hospitality. I don't need anything else. And he seems to pinpoint the one thing that she lacked. And I can see her standing before him completely vulnerable, trembling in his presence because the thing that she had been so afraid to give voice to, she she thought she would never have it. She thought she could never access this greatest desire of her life. All of a sudden, all of her protection and all of the walls that she had built around this have, have been ripped away to reveal the true desire of her heart. And she's completely undone, exposed, and engulfed in disbelief. Don't promise me this if God will not deliver. Don't lie to me. This is too important. It's too deep a longing. It's, it's too impactful to my life for you to toy with this desire of my heart. And the prophet says, nothing. At least in the recording, he says nothing. He doesn't say, he doesn't rebuke her. Who do you think you're talking? Don't you know I am the voice of God in this generation? Do you know who you're talking to? He doesn't say that. And he doesn't say, oh, it'll be okay, you'll see. He says nothing. And then we read in verse 17, that the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. The most momentous occasion in this woman's life gets one sentence. A single sentence. The promise was brought to life according to the word of God. And here's this This lady who is watching the promise come into being. First, she knows she's going to have a baby. She's got all the fears that a mother would have in this situation. Am am I really going to give birth to this child? Is it really going to come to pass the way the prophet said? And she watches as her belly begins to grow. And she remembers uh, that feeling. She feels that feeling of, of fluttering in her belly, especially in the middle of the night when she's trying to sleep. She... Goes through all the mom stuff. And finally, the day comes that this child of promise was born. Literally, the word of God made visible in her life. And what a treasure that must have been for her to hold him. Knowing a year ago this was impossible but God spoke. A year ago, this was unfathomable, unbelievable to me. And all of a sudden, it's it's here, and it's present, and it's real, and it's manifest. And every day, she got up in disbelief. This really, did that really happen? Am I really a mom? her son grew bigger and taller and stronger. And he he took on his own personality and revealed his own uh, take on life. And he must have been a chip off the old block because verse 18 tells us that when the child was grown, uh, and that word grown in Hebrew does not mean when he was an adult. It means when he was old enough to be a little helper out in the field. So age 8, 10, 12, somewhere in there. It fell on a day that he went out. To his father, to the reapers. He wanted to be out in the fields with his dad, and he, he was out there and began to say to his father, My head, my head. He was in pain. And he and his father turned and said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him, he brought him in to his mother, and he sat on her knees till noon. And then he died. He died. There's no allegory here. It's not figurative language, it's not a metaphor. This child who had lived passed away. Heat stroke, aneurysm. We really don't know what happened, but a living being was suddenly no longer living. And for the mom, it wasn't just a child. That's that's hard enough. That's bad enough. That's difficult and and horrible to think about. Enough. But this was a child who'd been promised to her. He died. And it's heart-wrenching. And many of us, I don't want to lump you in with me. I told you I'm preaching to myself and you're just listening. So I probably would have just stopped right there. I probably, I would have stopped and I would have said things to myself like, well, that, that must have been the will of God. Maybe all I was supposed to be was a mother to a, an 8 or 10 or 12-year-old. Maybe I would have gone to that little room where the promise started. And maybe I would have ripped it apart with my own hands. What kind of God would take the child of the promise? But this mother had very different plans. So she went up in verse 21, and she laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. She called to her husband, and she did not say what happened. She never let the words out of her mouth that he had died. Instead, she says, send me, I pray thee, one of the young men, one of our servants and one of our donkeys, that I may run to the man of God and come again. She formulated this plan very quickly because it was the prophet. It was the voice of God whose word had brought this boy into existence in the first place. And she knew that she could go back to the voice of God for help. Of course, her husband, having no idea that his son had died, says in verse 23, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It's it's not a Sabbath day. It's not a holiday. And she says four words in English that I would never have been able to articulate. It shall be well It's gonna be okay. It shall be well that's that's crazy faith and you know i. I have to look at these stories, and I kind of pull them apart a little bit, and look at the human drama unfolding in front of us, and I wonder, you know, this is the same woman who told the prophet, don't you lie to me, I can't believe you right now, I don't have enough faith to muster up that I could have a son, and now, eight or 10 or 12 years later, living with the promise that entire time has built her faith to the point that she says, it doesn't matter what the situation looks like right now. It's all going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So she saddles the donkey and says to the servant, drive, go forward, make time, don't slow down. I'm not even going to tell you to slow down if I'm uncomfortable and dusty and dirty and covered in whatever this desert holds for us. We are going to make it to the prophet and I don't want you to slow down. The same woman who was completely contented and comfortable in a childless state now is a relentless mama. She is in relentless pursuit of the restoration of her promise. It's coming back. He's coming back. This isn't over. I'm not done. God's not done yet. The word has the final word has not been spoken yet. It shall be well. And once you have seen the work of God and the promise of God come to life in your family, come to life in your church, come to life in your life, there is no going back. There is no settling for less than what he has promised to you. It takes a relentless pursuit because you will never be satisfied with less than what he has promised you. And so she went and she came to the man of God, to Mount Carmel, and it came to pass when the man of God saw her far off. He said to Gehazi, his servant, behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Man, I want that instant recognition when God sees me come into prayer room afar off. That's Melissa. That's Grace. It's Lane. I'm sorry, I don't know your name. Debbie, that's who I thought. That's, I thought so. That's Debbie coming to pray. I want that voice, that connection to the voice of God. Yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her. And say unto her, is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? He knows, just like her husband, there's no reason for her to be here. Something must be wrong. And she answers, and she says, it is well. It is well. Not it shall be well. But it is well. Somewhere on the journey from Shunem to Mount Carmel, the faith of this mama rose. And it rose to the omission of future tense. It is well. And I I, I racked my brain, Pastor, to try to figure out What changed? What changed between home and the prophet's house? She's dustier. She's probably sore from riding the back of a donkey. She's been thinking this whole time. She could have been more frustrated, but that's not how it went. Somewhere between Shunem and Mount Carmel, Her whole thoughts changed from it is well to it shall be well, and the only thing that changed was her proximity to the voice of God. See, many of us, when we find ourselves in trouble, instead of getting closer, we get farther away. But faith builds when we draw closer. And the closer I get to his voice, the closer I get to him, the the, the the more I pursue him, the more I reach for him in the time of trouble and for his help, the more my faith begins to grow. If you find yourself in a situation and you're doubting God, check your proximity. The closer she got the more faith she had because her trust was in the voice of God. And she came to the man of God to the hill and she caught him by the feet. It's this big physical gesture of her despair. And Gehazi comes up and he tries to push her away. And the prophet says, no, 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 no. Let her alone. Her soul is vexed within her. The Lord has hid it from me and hath not told me. And she begins to, Pour out her heart. And she says, did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? I didn't ask you for this. But you promised it anyway. And that makes you responsible for the outcome. That is a bold way to pray. And I believe that's exactly why the Lord invited us to come boldly to the throne of grace. So that we can receive from him what we need. I didn't ask you for this. You promised it. And I'm holding you responsible. Responsible. God, this wasn't my idea. That makes you responsible. I think God just wants us to hold him accountable to his word sometimes. To remind him of what he said either in his word or in our prayer time or through the mouth of a a, a man or woman of God that came and spoke to us. I think he just wants us to hold him accountable to his word. Remind him. And so the voice of God says to the servant, you go, take my staff in your hands. Go your way. Don't don't salute anybody who's who's coming to meet you. Don't don't talk to anybody on the way. Lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave thee. I'm not doing anything where you don't come with me. I know this man and woman of God, pretty well. I know that they are going to do everything that they can to help you, to support you, to love you, to connect with you. That's who they are. But there are times when the servant is not what you need. The servant is not the one who's going to bring the promise back in your life. And what you really need is an encounter with the voice of God. So Gehazi does go on before them, and he lays the staff on the face of the child, and there was neither voice nor hearing Wherefore he went again and he met Elisha and said, The child is not awaked. And Elisha comes into the house and behold, the child still dead and laid upon his own bed. Elisha sees this child is in my room, in my space, laying where I usually lay. And he goes in and and this miracle happens. He goes in and he shuts the door. Mama and Gehazi are outside the room. Now, how does a mom who has just trucked across the desert in pursuit of this prophet let herself get locked out of the room where the miracle is about to happen? It does not make human sense in my mind why she would say, no, 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 I got to be here. I want to be here to see it happen. If I'm not here, it might not happen. Who's going to hold you accountable? But she lets herself get locked out because this ardent and relentless mom realized that our relentlessness, our relentless pursuit commands a relentless response from the voice of God. See, the servant tried and many of us would have given up when that failed, The prophet tries, and again, many of us would have given up because that didn't seem to work either. It says that his flesh waxed warm, and we we see that the prophet now is taking this relentless pursuit on his own shoulders, and instead of giving up, instead of throwing in the towel, he returned, and he walked in the house to and fro, and went up and stretched himself upon him, and the child sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. So he calls Gehazi. Says, called this Shunammite, and he called her, and she comes in, and he says, "Take up thy son." And the principles of this interaction so closely mirror our relationship with God. Sometimes, God, you promised me, and it's His grace to extend the promise. And to bring it to pass in our lives. And to watch this promise begin to grow. And it is also his grace in the life cycle of the promise to seem to take it away. How can that be grace? How can that be God? Is it possible that he he wants to see how much you really value that word that he has spoken to you are you willing to go back to your former contentment that came, that existed prior to the promise are you willing to go back to what you settled for before you encountered the voice of god has Has the Lord's dream for you become your dream for you as well? And are you willing to put feet to the dream that he awakened in you? When it seems to disappear. She never asked for this, but this was her greatest desire. And there was no other option but to seek the restoration of her promise. I must continue in this vision. I must continue to pursue this dream. I must continue to look for and pray for this promise. I am not content to just let life get back to some kind of normal. It is well. Yeah. <laughs> Would you close your eyes with me right now? Because in this place, I'm convinced that there are some dormant promises. Things that you know God has declared over your household, over your church, over your city. Things that seem to be lying. Quietly to the side of your life, no longer vibrant and no longer visible. And I believe that God is asking us Is my promise worth your relentless pursuit? He promised you the Holy Ghost. He promised that he would pour out of his spirit upon all flesh and that the sons and daughters would prophesy. And old men would dream dreams and young men would see visions. And is his promise worth our relentless pursuit? regardless of circumstances and regardless of situations, regardless of what anything looks like, is it worth our relentless pursuit? Salvation of my family, oh, yep, yep, it shall be well. And as I begin to pray and I get closer to the voice of God, that salvation of my family, it, it, it is well it is well there's things moving in the holy ghost there's things moving in the spirit and it is well it is changing it is moving in the right direction god is working that 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 situation with my job it is well it is well it is well that situation in the church Where we've been looking at circumstances and situations and feeling weighed down and discouraged. It it shall be well, church. It shall be well. It is well. Because the closer I get to him, the closer we get to him, the more that faith builds and grows and we can declare with faith, it is well. It doesn't matter that the boy is laying dead in the prophet's room still. It is well because I'm close enough to him that it can make a difference in my life. It is well because I'm going back to the one who gave me the promise in the first place. And he's not slack concerning his promises. He's not a man that he should lie. And in him, all of his promises are yea and they are amen to the glory of God by us. Pastor, if you would come. It is well. It's well, Pastor Lane.
0: How many of you have some relentless pursuits of promises that you need to have happen in your life? It's maybe it's been laying dormant. It's been there in the background, and you're thinking, you know what, I'm stirred up. I I need to pursue those promises and get closer to God so that he can speak again. I'm reminded of Abram. Abram multiple times I'm reading a book right now about Abram multiple times multiple times it seemed like the voice of God got diminished in his life and he would get closer to God and all of a sudden God would speak again and God would speak the same promise and say you know Abraham you don't see this yet you're not seeing what I'm seeing but I see and air. I see a world being blessed through you. I see a promise of a future that you can't see. I see something that from your vantage point right now, it looks like this is so far away. It seems like it's something that is dead and dormant, but I see it. And sometimes you've got to get back to that place where you hear the voice of God again. And maybe God's just reaffirming to you and saying, you know what, that that thing that years ago I mentioned, I'm going to do that. It's not over. It's not dead. It's not gone. There's still hope. There is still hope. Can you entertain the presence of the Lord that's here right now? God is wanting to speak to someone that that thing that you've had lying in a, in a room somewhere that you've almost shut away, that you, you don't want to give any attention to it. God is wanting to reaffirm to you right now that promise is going to happen. I know I have some promises. Lord, you've spoken some things to me. God, I've not seen them come to pass yet. And Lord, I'll admit in myself, there's been moments of doubt, God, where I look and I say, this is not possible. It's not going to happen. But God, you're still faithful. You still fulfill your promises. Your promises are not slack. You will do what you said you would do. You will do what you've given me covenant over. God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, that faith would arise in every individual. God, that has a promise that they've not seen come to pass yet. I pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, strengthen us. Give us a pursuit of that promise. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name they're going to begin to sing and worship the Lord. And I want to invite you, if you're here in this place and you have a promise that you want to lay before the Lord, you want to ask Him to revive it inside of you, revive that promise in your life, I want to invite you to come to this altar. You can pray right where you're seated, seated where you're sitting if you don't want to come to the altar. But we're going to give God an opportunity to speak to us. If If you're at home, I want to invite you to pray. Pray with us in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, you see every person. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would speak. God, give them what they need today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.
1: The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the dark...